You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome everybody to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon, and I'm a pastoral resident at Emmaus Road Church, and I am joined with my friend, as always, Ryan Chase, pastor and elder at Emmaus. Um, And we're going to continue on this morning on kind of a series that we've recently started up. We did an introduction a few weeks ago, uh, walking through the statement, Sovereign Grace's statement of faith. Uh, Last week, or last time we we did this rotation, we were uh, just kind of did a brief introduction Um, And then today, particularly, we're going to focus on the first uh, article, the first section, which is on the scriptures. Um, It's a great place to start. Uh, Before we begin, I want to read a little bit from this introduction. So if you go to SovereignGrace.com, go under the About tab and click on the Statement of Faith, you can find a PDF there. But here is what Sovereign Grace, in its own words, says about the Statement of Faith. Sovereign Grace Churches is a confessional family of churches. At the heart of our union is the truth of God's word that we believe, cherish, and proclaim together. While the Bible is our only infallible rule of faith and practice, we are also committed and accountable to specific, a specific statement of faith that represents the summary of the teaching of Holy Scripture on key points of doctrine essential to the belief, conduct, and witness of our churches. Our statement of faith stands firmly within historical Christian orthodoxy, confessing the great doctrines of the Trinity, the incarnation of Christ as set forth in the Nicene and Chalcedonian creeds, and our statement of faith also makes explicit what is foundational to our doctrinal commitments, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the primary passion and the driving influence of our church's common life, worship, and outreach. Beyond this, our statement of faith affirms the glorious sovereignty of God over all things, including the redemption of sinners, our practice of credo-baptism, our celebration of God's distinct and complementary purposes for men and for women, and our continuationist convictions regarding the Spirit's ongoing ministry of the church, in the church. As a confessional document, all Sovereign Grace Church elders own it as a faithful expression of biblical doctrine and a guide for their preaching and teaching. And in this way, it functions to nurture our churches on sound doctrine, protect our churches from false teaching, and lead our churches into faithful worship and witness. Our supreme prayer is that our statement will serve the doxological goal of all biblical truth, to lead our churches into a deeper knowledge of God that we might more deeply love Him, more fully trust Him, and more genuinely worship Him all to the praise of his glory. Um, That's a really helpful summary (laughs) of why a statement of faith. Doxological purpose, Mm. meaning worship. worship. That's right. The the glory of God, seeing and beholding and treasuring the glory of God is the aim. So it's it's not just bigger heads, um, not just nitpicking technicalities to argue and debate over. It's... The truth of God uh, illuminates our minds, stirs our hearts, leads us to know and love and trust God more. Yes. That's rich. Yes. So with that, kind of a recap of last week, um, we start with the first 
uh, of the, I believe, 14 statements or the 14 sections. Um, so this is going to be a while, which is good. <laughs> the first is on the scriptures. Um, and so in the statement of faith, it's been subdivided into four subcategories, which are God and revelation, the origin of scripture, the attributes of scripture, and the reception of scripture. So maybe for the rest of our time, we'll, we'll kind of follow that. Walk through those. Walk through Good. those individually. So let's start with the first, God and revelation. I'll read, I think this first sentence is, well, the, the thing about the state, par- Parentheses. The thing about the statement of faith is every sentence, every word has been yeah. thought through, fought for, poured over, poured over. Yeah. But this, this, this is the opening sentence of the entire statement of faith. It reads this: "Our eternal, transcendent, all glorious God, who forever exists as Father, Son, and Holy Holy Spirit, is by His very nature a communicative being." Mm. That. Is critical, and I feel like that gets to the to the very heart. If we're going to start with anything regarding anything in theology and Christian life, we have to start with God's revelation of Himself to us. And the fact here that what's being claimed here is that God is by His very nature communicating. Yeah, that's right. What does that mean? You know, in systematic theology, when you're trying to take everything that the Bible says about God, systematize it, organize it, make sense of it all. one of the questions historically that's been debated is where does systematic theology begin? Do you start with the doctrine of God or do you start with the doctrine of scripture and revelation? And it seems like, well, you want to start with God himself, but how do we know anything about God except for what he has revealed about himself? We're not just starting with what we imagine God is like. And then down the road, we come to find out like, Oh, Hey, actually he has spoken to us, told us certain things. So, so then it makes sense to start with scripture, but you just start with the Bible. Like where did that come from? That comes from God speaking right. and revealing himself. So it's kind of a, you know, chicken and the egg dilemma. Do you start with God or do you start with scripture? And that sentence just says, yes, <laughs> God is eternal and transcendent and all glorious. He has existed forever as Father, Son, and Spirit. So it it starts with God. And this is about his nature. He is by nature a communicative being. He didn't start revealing when he created. Yeah. He's always been revealing. Always been communicating, which is Trinitarian. Trinitarian. That's right. Um, You know, Islam has to say, well, Allah has existed by himself. There was no one else to talk to. You know, so if God was doing any talking, he was just talking to himself Mm. um, until he creates the world. Trinitarian Christian biblical theology understands communication didn't begin when God created some other being. Father, Son, and Spirit, God has existed forever in community, in relationship. And in community, there's always been communication. So God is by his nature. So it's not just, well, God didn't communicate until the Bible was inspired. No, God's always been speaking and then right. creation is an act of his speaking. So I, I just love how it starts by rooting uh, the doctrine of scripture in the very nature of God. What we know about God, we know because he has spoken to us, he speaks because it's his nature to speak and right. he is pouring forth. He is emanating. He is this, you know, light diffused. Uh, he, he, he shines forth so yes. that we would know him. Yeah. It's very Jonathan Edwards language. Those are, I, I yes. Those are all words by which uh, Jonathan Edwards, particularly in his um, his treatise, "The End for Which God Created the World," he he was interacting with a, another philosopher, uh, uh, I think Theodore Spinoza, who was saying, "If God created, He must have 
needed something. God created, therefore he needed something. He, yeah. he had a lack. And what uh, Edwards said, uh, both by reason and by scripture, to articulate is, no, for the reasons you just said, God has always been communicating within himself as a trinity, as, a, um, as the three persons back and forth communicating. And then out of that overflow, out of, out of an abundance, he sought f- to share that. So he emanates. That's the right word. It, yeah. um, we think of like, um, em- that word emanation means he is the origin, the source, and it comes out of him. And then he creates a thing, a, both a, a, a place and a people who can receive that glory yeah. and shine it back. Um, and so, yeah, we, we do play a role in this. We receive the glory of God in his revelation to us in, and we're going to talk about these in, in two specific categories, general revelation and special revelation. Yeah. But let's just start with general. In the created world, God is always communicating himself. You know, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glories of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. Day after day, they pour forth speech and night after night, they reveal him. Yeah. And it goes out to the ends of the earth and it's nonverbal. It's not like we hear hallelujahs from the trees. Yep. It's, it is this emanation of God's glory all throughout the creation. Yeah. And so Paul applies that in Romans 1 and exactly. says that nobody has any excuse. Right. Not a single human being anywhere on earth, any time in history can stand before God and say, well, I had no idea that Paul argues in Romans 1 we know certain things about God because God himself is revealing. And I think that's important that it, it you know, it's a category of revelation. Um, God has revealed himself in the things that have been made. So there's certain things about his character and his attributes, namely that he exists. Paul says that's one of those things. The fact that God exists is revealed to everyone in creation. So, you know, People joke, um, God doesn't believe in atheists. They might say they don't believe in God, but God doesn't believe there are any atheists because right. he has revealed himself to everyone. Right. Um, certain things about his eternality and his um, creativity and his wisdom, th- those things are just on his display. His power, yes. his eternal power and divine nature is what Paul says yes. are on display. And, and I think an important point about general revelation, so you know, to contrast that special revelation, we would say that that is God's direct revelation of himself in his word, what he has said mm-hmm. to us about himself and about us and about how we relate to him and about what he has done for our salvation. And we would say one major difference between general revelation and special revelation is that um, general revelation through creation is not enough for someone to be saved. Right. You can't just you know go on a nature walk right. and get saved. To, to know what God has done about our sin right. requires scripture, the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ there. I've heard it said, um, general revelation reveals God. But the, what kind of relationship does the world, do all mankind have with God through general revelation is that of judge. We know that there is a judge out there. <laughs> we know that God exists. We know that we ought to thank him and praise him. Right. We know that we don't. Right. And so what special revelation makes clear, God's disclosure of his, of the, of the, of his eternal, his whole counsel of salvific history, and it all culminating in the person and work of Jesus, is how can someone go from knowing God as judge yeah. to knowing Him as Father? And, and the difference, I mean, the difference there is the, the the status of the relationship. Not there's no third category of not knowing Him. Right. In both, there is a knowledge indwelled, or that just is because we are creatures who, by the way, are also made in his image. Yeah. So that's why, like, Psalm, there's no way to escape. All of creation 
reveals God. There's no way to escape that revelation. In fact, Psalm 139 makes clear, where can I go from your presence? If I go up there, hey, there you are. If I go down there, there you are. In fact, you've knit me together in my mother's womb in, so, in such a way that you have all of my days planned out. Yeah. There's no escaping. The only way to escape God is to destroy oneself because you are the image of God. That, that's... And even that, and we despise. You make your bed in Sheol in the grave. You right. you can try to destroy yourself, and you still can't escape. And mankind despises that type of control. Yeah, over that us total. Yep. In our sin. Yeah, the, the statement of faith says he also revealed himself through specific words mm. that we might come to a fuller knowledge of his character and will, learning what is necessary for salvation and life. Right. We, we learn that through Scripture. I, I think an important point when I teach on these two types of revelation is to emphasize general revelation is as authoritative as special revelation. Mm. That is, it it is God's own revelation of himself, and therefore it has the very authority of God, which is why it's enough to condemn everyone. Uh, it, it's enough to leave you guilty of rejecting the God who who made you. There's another section right at the end of this, this opening part on God and revelation that says, through the medium of human language, which is suitable and adequate for communication mm-hmm. with those who bear his image, God has preserved in Holy Scripture the only authoritative and complete revelation for all humanity. That is a crucial point. Through the medium of human language, and our statement of faith affirms human language is suitable and adequate for God to communicate with those who bear his image. This historically has been a debate in theology. Well, we are finite beings. God is infinite. Human language must be finite and limited. And therefore, um, nothing, no statement about God in human words could ever, you know, capture real truth about God. It's always just kind of veiled and and foggy and cloudy and inadequate. We need the word behind the word. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just... That's just to kind of get us going. We need the spirit behind that word yeah. for whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, I just think to affirm, well, God made us and God is able, he made us in his image and, and he made us with the capacity to know him. And by his design, he's able to speak to us in ways that are true and right and accurate and authoritative. And he can, right. he can and he does reveal himself so that we can actually know him. So, you know, that, that, would, that would be a dangerous idea to avoid the sense of like, well, we can't, certainly God is infinite, so we don't know him exhaustively, right. but what he has revealed about himself, we can know accurately, truly, and, rightly. And certain, we can have certainty. That, that's critical because in an age of doubt, right, where, especially since the Enlightenment, um, we doubt is almost like the, the, the eighth shaping virtue is yeah. doubt. Um, that if you have any certainty about anything, it's the height of arrogance, the height of, the height of knowing um, you're trying to say, well, I know everything. Um, when in fact you can, and then what, well, what's the converse? I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Well, that's not certainty. In fact, I don't want to build my life on something that I could be wrong. <laughs> so there's yes. a sense in which, um, but the certainty in it, is not based in me. Right. And that's kind of moving on to our next section on the origin of scripture. Like we have special revelation from God in a book, right? So you plop the Bible down in front of somebody and you say, hey, look, um, this is God's special revelation to you. Well, Ryan, I, I'm sitting across the table from you. Some, you plop, you say that to me and I say, well, isn't this just a book written by a bunch of humans over like, is, aren't these just human words about God? How does, how does our statement of faith deal with that? 
yeah, we, we believe that scripture is breathed out by God. And that, you know, that's the first phrase at the beginning of that section, which just comes straight from scripture in second Timothy three sixteen. scripture right. is God breathed. And so though God has revealed himself through human beings who are on their own finite and fallible, God is capable of speaking. So really that, that's why the very beginning of this entire section and the entire statement of faith, God is able to communicate that our faith is not in man's ability to discover things about God or, you know, accurately articulate things about God. Our faith is in God who's able to faithfully and accurately, truthfully, authoritatively reveal himself to us. That, that's our confidence. God can speak truly through human beings. And so he has delivered, as it says in the statement of faith, through various human authors by the inspiration and sovereign agency of the Holy Spirit. Th- these these words to us. And so the spirit of God was active in the the process of inspiration. Not, not, I think sometimes people get the idea of like dictation, like the spirit is saying, yeah. 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 Second Peter one is another one of these, um, kind of stalwart, if you will, um, texts that we think of in our mind when we think on the inspiration of scripture, that second, second Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is God breathed and is useful is a key one, but also second Peter chapter one, um, particularly to where it relates to this dictation theory that, that Ryan's speaking of, sorry, it's worth noting. Just pause and acknowledge. <laughs> pause, acknowledge. Did this happen last time? It did. And we always time it bad, but there's a chapel going on and they're, and it's just high school students have the inability to be quiet. So if you hear stuff, that's what it is. Um, anyway, so Second Peter chapter 1, um, verse 20 and 21, uh, Peter's making this claim. It's interesting the argument he's making in this claim, because earlier in Second um, Peter 1, verse 16, he, Peter's making a point that we actually were there. We actually heard and saw and dwelt with God and with Jesus. In fact, Peter makes the claim earlier, we were on the holy mountain. Peter was one of James and John and Peter. They were up on the Mount of Transfiguration and actually saw him transformed and actually heard a voice from heaven say, this is my, like you want to talk about revelation, God, the father speaking to these men right here. This is Jesus. And he says, we actually have this prophetic voice. This, he says this, uh, verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. No, notice, more fully confirmed than their own ears, right? Because I think often we would say, well, if I would have been on that mountain. Sure, I would have believed it too. Well, Peter's making a claim. No, we actually have it more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Because if God just dictated to man he would have had to have heard and interpreted, I think this is what God's saying, and then written out. No, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, right? So it's not just some men sat down and said, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like writing scripture today. Right. But men spoke from God as they were, and I love this phrase, carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how the Bible was written. Men with their own language, with their own voice, with their own intentions, yep. wrote the Bible, and they were inspired by, and they were carried along by the Spirit. And to Peter's point, it is better for us that we have this prophetic word than even being on that mountain. And that's 
That's saying something. something. Set something on, yeah, right? yeah. The, the statement of faith says, um, in its original manuscripts, the whole of Scripture and all its parts is inerrant, without error in all it affirms. And that you know that idea of inerrancy that's been at the heart of a lot of debate. Again, a lot of controversy. Um, some people would argue, well, the Bible is uh, true but not necessarily inerrant true in the sense that like it, it makes you feel good things. And so it's, it's this concept of truth. That's kind of like, you know, so long as it's inspiring you to live a better life, right? It's true in that sense, but it's not necessarily accurate or historical or whatever. So, so we affirm that the Bible is, and, and I think this language has been helpful in defining what do we mean by inerrancy? It means the Bible does not claim or affirm anything untrue. It's possible that our understanding of scripture is wrong and and that can be clarified, but nothing that the Bible says in its original manuscripts is, is wrong. There there are no lies in it. Taking together all the different genres, taking together all the different authors, taking together all, because, you know, the gospel of Mark reads differently in the Greek than Luke and Paul writes very differently, right? One is more academic, more accurate, more, we could say better grammar. Mark is more of a, he just writes. <laughs> and if there were, quote unquote, type like, mis- he misspelled a word, blah, blah, blah. Well, this kind of gives a, the inerrancy is not saying if it's misspelled, it's all inerrant, it's all, throw it all out. But it, it gives room for that. Also like genre, we understand that when um, the, the psalmist says, God is a rock. He's not trying to claim God is a boulder. He's, he's obviously using a metaphor. God is like a rock. Um, and so it kind of gives us room because God did not give us, like we've said this multiple times, God did not give us a systematic theology book written by one guy. He gave us a story written over thousands of years on three different continents by 40 plus authors, um, which is just incredible. And the only thing that the only way that that could stay as unified as it is, is if it has one divine author behind it all, weaving and carrying along the human authors as they go through. Which is what our statement of faith affirms because there's one divine author behind all of scripture, we're able to arrive confidently at a harmonious, doctrinally unified understanding of the whole. And so that means there really is, this is why we're convinced there's a unity to all of scripture. It's not just saying a bunch of different things that can't be harmonized or held Mm -hmm. together. Even though it was written by so many different human authors over such an extended period of time, which is an incredible argument for the divine inspiration of scripture. How in the world could you explain all these differing human beings uh, with their different life experiences, some of them writing from palaces, some of them writing from prisons, writing one cohesive thing that reveals consistently the character and the nature and the work and the ways of God and his plan of of salvation. So it is incredible. Yes. Excellent. So this book that comes to us um, and contra uh, the Da Vinci Code, this was not a book that was just voted on at the Council of Nicaea by by Constantine for political purposes. Um, There's a lot, we could go deep into that world and maybe someday we'll do a podcast on it, but manuscriptal evidence from very early on, um, we can trust that the Bible in, in the Bible that we have today is, 
um, God's word. Our statement of first says, God in his loving providence has determined to preserve his word as pure and trustworthy throughout history, just as he guided the early church in discerning and identifying, not voting and making like, scripture, the the letter of the Romans did not become scripture in 430 AD at the council, right? It did not become, it was scripture and the councils recognized, oh, this is the words of God. Let's let's stick to that. I I think that's vital to understand because that idea, if people have that in mind, that at some point a a, a political gathering or, you know, a a church council got together and they, they turned human words into scripture, a great illustration of that is like, think about, um, a federal agent whose job it is to identify counterfeit money. Um, that agent does not have the authority to take a counterfeit hundred dollar bill and declare that it's actually legitimate currency. Right. It doesn't have that. All he can do is look at it and tell you, is it real or not? He can't turn fake money into real money by some you know, authority that, that he has. Yeah. yeah. And, and likewise, we can't take merely human words and turn them into divine words by saying, well, we just, you know, let, let's call this scripture. It's more like the, the church recognized God has spoken. These are God's right. words. And, and so that's part of our faith is uh, we, we trust in, in scripture and the inspiration of scripture, as well as God's work in history in the church recognizing that and then God's work down through history in, in preserving that for us so that we have today in accurate, um, you know, we, we have access to his word that yeah. that's reliable because he has preserved that and it, yeah. it hasn't been lost by God's grace. Right. So this book, we'll move to the next section, the attributes of scripture. What, what are some of the things that describe it? Um, and if you've been around long enough in this this section, I guess, if you read it, it could be distilled into um, what Grudem kind of how Wayne yep. Grudem has systemized as the uh, the authority of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture, and the sufficiency of Scripture. Those four categories are just so helpful. Yeah, um, authority meaning it has the right to tell me how to live. Um, again, leaning into who wrote it, who's the author, leaning into the nature of God himself. It has the right to tell me. It's necessary for salvation and for godliness and for the Christian life, which speaks to the, sp- the specialness of it. This is not just the woods telling us, you know, oh, look, I look at that mountain and I feel like, oh, I should love my neighbor. No, God himself has directly spoken to us and it's necessary for that. And and like Paul would say in Romans 10, how can anybody be saved unless they hear, unless somebody goes and tells them the message? So it is absolutely necessary for salvation. You you cannot be saved without hearing or reading for yourself the good news of the gospel revealed in scripture and nowhere else in the world. And it's clear, the clarity of scripture. Now that, that one takes a little bit because it's not saying that it's simple in a sense, or like easy to understand you know, part, but it is saying that even the youngest among us or the simplest among us can understand its message. Yep. Um, and the beauty about it is it's also this never ending gold mine that you can keep going and keep going and keep going. And it just continues to produce yeah. gold. Yeah. There are deep ends. Right. There are complex and challenging parts. There are, there are things to wrestle with, but what we need to know right. in order to know God rightly 
to be saved, to trust him, to obey him. That's clear. Like we're not left scratching our heads saying, I think that what we have to do to be saved is this, but it's not very clear and it's a little bit ambiguous. No, what the way of salvation, faith alone, in, in Christ alone, God's grace alone, that that is clear and obvious and, and plain. And we don't need a seminarian degree to know yeah. God rightly. Um, and that that's that should be encouraging to me <laughs> and the simple among us, and uh, but also for like our children. I can read the Bible to them and not think this is way over their head. No, no, this we do believe that it's clear. It's clear enough to them. Yes, it needs to be read and applied, but that's true for all of us. Um, and then finally, the what's the last one I have? Um, the uh, sufficiency. sufficiency, which is is critical. Now, what's this one Which means that God has said everything we need God to say. Right. It's not exhaustive. For, to honor him in all of life. Yeah. It's not exhaustive. Like if you're looking for how to do stoichiometry and chemistry, I wouldn't go to Mark. <laughs> but he has told chemists enough to do stoichiometry as Christians. That, that's what sufficiency means. It is, there is no area of Christian life that hasn't been addressed in this word. Um, Deuteronomy 29, 29 is, is my favorite verse on the sufficiency of scripture. It says the secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children mm-hmm. so that we may know him and walk in his ways. So what is the purpose of revelation that, that we would know God, that we and our children would know God, love him, trust him, walk in his ways. There's a lot God has not said. And we often get distracted in our curiosities. I wish right. God would have said more about this or that, but scripture just tells us be content with what God has said and with what he has not said. The secret things belong to God. And, and so if he has not revealed those, the qu- answers to your curiosities, you can trust that he knows why he right. has not done I, that. And I you see. and you don't need to know that in order to honor him. Right. And so that thought of like, well, if God had only done this or said this, then I could better serve him or trust him or know him. The answer is no. Actually, in scripture is everything we need in order to know God the way he means for us to know him and trust right. him. I say that to my students a lot uh, when I teach high school Bible is, I don't know. <laughs> I, because uh, Partly because high schoolers have this in, insane superpower to find the most obscure thought out of nowhere and say, well, what about this? What about this? <laughs> and I think, well, I don't know. Because God hasn't said, why is the serpent talking? But that, why don't serpents talk now? What, I don't I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you could move into speculation, but right. to see that it's it's all by faith. We we know what we know with confidence by faith because right. God has spoken it, and we're okay with the things we don't know that God hasn't spoken on by faith because we we trust Him that He knows what He's doing. And that speaks to our our final section, the the reception of Scripture, because it's possible to live in this world, to read this book, and have a dead heart. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? It is. It's possible to live in this world, to live in this country, to live in this city, to go to the Christian schools, to go to live in a Christian home, to do all these attend church weekly. Attend church weekly and still not know God as Father. Mm. Um, and so this reception of scripture is a critical piece that what is needed is the illumination of God in our the this again this is Edward's language a divine and supernatural light um, it, it speaks to and he, I think he gets that um, from Second Corinthians chapter for chap, uh, chapter four where he says for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We need that illumination. Yeah. Um, if we're going to receive this word, we need God to act because my status before that is dead and, and dead people don't do anything. They can't hear, they can't see, they can't read, they can't love, they can't obey, they can't do anything other than be dead. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ and has raised us up. So now we are, Ephesians 2.10, able. We, we are his workmanship, able to do good works, and now can, that he has prepared for us to walk. And so we need, so to, to read from the reception of scripture, we come to know that the Bible is God's word through scripture's own self-attesting authority and by the work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness through the word in our hearts. I'm mm. just going to keep reading. As the scriptures are preached and read, and notice the verbal categories there, as it's, how can they believe unless they hear? The Spirit delights, I love that, delights to illuminate our minds so that we understand, cherish, which is critical, not just intellectual assent, but to cherish and obey His Word. Yeah. That's, and what's, I think what can tend to be scary is that I can't control that, right? Yeah. I, I don't, I can't control that in my own heart and I can't control it in my neighbor's heart. I can't control that in my student's heart. I can't control that in my kid's heart. I, we are dependent creatures and we are dependent on God to act. Our only role is to keep planting the seeds, to keep reading this word and to keep declaring this word and to speaking this word and to preaching this word to all be, because we plant the seeds, but God gives the growth through his spirit, illuminating through that spoken word in our hearts, this divine and supernatural life. Yeah. And we can trust that, like you highlighted that language, that the spirit delights to illuminate. So it's, it's not like, you know, God is uh, loath to do this. He, he delights to give sight. And so um, Isaiah says, God's word never returns void. Um, it always accomplishes the purpose that he sends it out to do. And so the effectiveness of God's word, we, we can be confident that this is how God has chosen to work in the world. So Romans one, Paul says, um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone right. who believes. And so our confidence is that as the word is read, preached, taught, explained, uh, counseled, it, it's effective. God is pleased through his spirit to bring spiritual life where the word is, mm. is present. And so the spirit and the word working together, because these are the very words of God, um, it, it, it was gracious for God to speak to us at all and not leave us in the dark. That's and it's right. gracious of God to accompany the, the reading and preaching and teaching of his word with that illuminating work of his Holy Spirit. I, I think there's a point here at the beginning about how is it that you become convinced the Bible is God's word? Mm. We should do a whole other episode just on, on some of those questions. Yes. Um, but the, the statement of faith affirms you come to be convinced the Bible is God's word, not by going and reading an apologetics book with right. a bunch of arguments and explanations about archaeology or science or history or uh, manuscripts or whatever other evidence, as helpful as some of that stuff can be. I think that's kind of corroborative. It, it, it confirms for us if certain things. If this is true, we should expect these other yeah. things. Yeah. And so, so Christians can look at that and go, wow, that, that's really encouraging to mm -hmm. hear and to know. Um, but 
I think a lot of times people want to start there. Like first I have to determine for myself if the Bible is actually the word of God and I have to do that somewhere else rather than going to listen to it. Um, And if the claim is these are the words of God, then you should go read them, listen to God's voice. And it's in hearing his voice that you recognize through the spirit's work as he illuminates and opens your ears and opens your eyes to see this is God's word. So there's this self attesting authority to it. How do I know God speaks through his word? Because he has spoken to me through his word, which, which sounds like a circular argument, uh, but it's, it's experiential and it's saying, um, there is no higher authority than scripture. Cause if I say, well, how do I know the Bible is the word of God? Because archaeology proves to me. Well, that that means archaeology. I've set that up as that's the highest authority, right. and that has the ability to put a stamp of approval on God. Therefore, God is underneath archaeology, rather than no. Th- there is no higher authority than God Himself. So there is no court of appeal higher than God. God said, "This is my word," and that's His testimony throughout Scripture. These are my words. Right. Behold, I say to you. Um, so God Himself makes that claim, and 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 we wouldn't really expect it to be any other way. If God is speaking and saying, I am speaking, these are my words. That's how it would sound. And all of the Bible is God's words. And it comes in different forms and different authors and different styles and genres. And all of it is one cohesive, unified thing. That's why this, this phrase in this statement, scripture interprets scripture. So how are we to understand a, a verse? How are we understand a chapter? Well, how does it function within itself? within the chapter, within the book, within the Bible itself? How is it to, it, we are to be, it's to be read in light of the whole because we want to interpret God's words by God's words, not by some apologetic or by some archaeology, but um, we start there. And then I'll just read, as we close here, I'll read this last line. As we devote ourselves to God's word, we commune with God himself and are fortified in faith sanctified from sin, strengthened in weakness, and sustained in suffering by his unchanging revelation in Scripture. And I hope that reading something like this, this statement of faith, has that doxological effect. Because this book, this word, this revelation of God is not meant for us to just have a row of arguments in our mind to to talk to our friends with. It's not just for theological discourse or for intellectual assent, but it is for worship. It's for cherishing. Communion with God. Delighting because it's exactly right. When we read God's words, we are communing with God himself. Um, And that should inform um, us as we read it, as we exercise these habits of grace, of spending time in his word because we're communing with God himself, and also cherishing the reality, you live in a time in history where you have access to a Bible in your language at all times. In fact, you probably have- In your pocket. Multiple ones, in your pocket, exactly. Whereas five, 600 years ago, that was not the case at all. You had to either, you had to know Latin, and you had to be sanctioned by the state to, to know Latin and to, to translate this into your natural language. So just to me, it has the effect of- um, thanking God that we have this, we have this book in our language that we are not in the quote unquote dark ages. They weren't dark necessarily because the sun didn't come up as quite so high, but dark because they didn't, they couldn't, there was no divine and supernatural 
light. It was going through a gatekeepers um, that produced all sorts of tomfoolery. But then, post-tenebrous Luke's. After darkness, light. Um, we have the Reformation where we went ad fontes, all these Latin phrases. We went back to the source to discover, oh, this book, this book, we, this is it. These are the words of God. And uh, the, the, the ring of truth began to, to ring out again. And, um, and so we, we thank God that he has revealed himself to us. And ultimately, we have to we have probably, I know we have to close, and we have to close with this, that Hebrews 1 says, yes, God has spoken in many ways and many times, but in these last days, he's spoken us to, or spoken to us through his son, who, incidentally enough, is uh, John calls ha logos, the word. Um, and that word, what do you use to speak? You use words. And how has God spoken most clearly? In the word, his son, Jesus Christ. Not just his person, but his person and his work, which he has, um, which we know, again, through his word. Why do I know? How can I be sure that Jesus loves me? Because the Bible tells you, tells you so. So trust this book, cherish this book, devour this book. It's the bread of life. It's, it's everything. And, and cultivate your appreciation for God's word mm. by reading through this statement of faith and taking a look at the, the footnotes to oh, scripture. Yeah. The doctrine of scripture is what scripture teaches about itself. So this is a helpful distillation of all that stuff that scripture claims about itself that should just have that effect of uh, increasing our appetite mm. for God's word. That's right. So that's probably enough. Till next That's time. Good. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.